Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 108. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com and they create electrolyte supplements that you can match to your individual sweat sodium concentration. The concept is simple, if you have a low versus a medium versus a high uh, sweat sodium concentration you take an electrolyte supplement that matches that category so that you can adequately replace the sodium uh, depending on how much you will lose during training and racing so for example uh, if you are somebody that uh, habitually see a lot of salt stains on your clothes after exercising then it's likely that you are uh, a salty sweater and might need more of a high or at least a medium electrolyte supplement but that's just one of the questions that you can answer in precision hydration's online sweat test that will give you a ballpark estimate for how much sodium you lose and that can then inform your decision on which category you fall in and which electrolyte supplement you go for it's really easy Uh, go to precisionhydration.com take their free hydration plan uh, test and uh, that will give you the the test and the plan and your estimate and then if you want to choose from precision hydration supplements you can get 15 percent off your order with the promo code that triathlon show one five and thank you to roca that you can find on roca.com roca is one of the most innovative uh, companies in the endurance sports industry uh, they have uh, multiple patented technologies such as the arms of technology in their wetsuits and tri suits so that you have maximum mobility and flexibility uh, during your triathlon swimming They also have technologies like the Geeko anti-slip technology that uh, keeps your their eyewear, their glasses, whether sunglasses or prescription glasses, from falling off your face. It's impossible to shake off, and much, much more. They pay incredible attention to detail and uh, want every single uh, detail to count, every single product to be top of the line in their respective product category. You can get 20% off your order of Roka products, whether it's sweatsuits, trisuits, swim skins, goggles, high-performance eyewear or prescription glasses and sunglasses with the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS. Now let's get into today's topic, but before introducing the questions, which are all around math training, which you may have heard of, it's a type of training where you you figure out a specific heart rate and uh, you train at or below that heart rate. So uh, it's basically an intensity control method. And I will describe it here and uh, how in detail how it's calculated and how, how it's used. And then I'll discuss what I think are the main issues with this method, uh, but also some positives and potential use cases. Uh, and then with that background, I will answer the questions which are all based around this theme. So what is math? Well, the backstory here is that in the late 70s and early 80s, Dr. Phil Maffetone was uh, really a pioneer in using heart rate devices because back then they were very, very uncommon and much more bulky than they are today. I think Polar introduced the first uh, chest strap that was sort of like a consumer-based heart rate monitor in 1982, 1983, something like that. And uh, Dr. Maffeton is uh, famous for coaching Mark Allen, among others. Uh, Mark Allen, of course, went on to win six Ironman World Championships 
And uh, so he was not only a pioneer in using heart rate monitors, but he was definitely somebody who had a great influence on triathlon training as a whole, because what he promoted uh, doing was to do more sustainable aerobic training rather than the, at that time, dominant no pain, no gain strategies that, that the triathletes were, were using for the most part. So a, a brilliant man in many ways. And uh, when I criticize the use of his formula and, uh, well, the formula in general, it's not a reflection of what I think per se about Dr. Maffetone. I want to make that clear. But anyway, the, the thing that Dr. Maffetone did when he prescribed intensities to his, his athletes was he took them into his lab and tested them individually. And uh, he, did, he really observed the athletes' biomechanics, as far as I can understand it anyway, uh, looking at their posture and their gait when running, for example. And then he identified the points where changes in the biomechanics occurred and uh, hypothesized that when the effort goes to a level where the anaerobic system started to make a more significant contribution, that's when these changes in biomechanics start to occur. So he did this for a long time, individual assessments in the lab of his athletes and and uh, I guess as a on a more of a consultation basis, athletes coming in to just get the testing done and see what heart rate they should be training at to remain mostly aerobic. Then, based on a large number of these individual evaluations in the lab, he developed a formula called the MATH-180 formula, and MATH stands for Maximum Aerobic Function. The formula is to subtract your age from 180, and then you modify this number by choosing one category that best applies to you of the following. One, if you have or are recovering from a major illness or are in rehabilitation, have been prescribed any regular medication or are chronically overtrained, subtract an additional 10. Category two, if you are injured, have regressed or not improved in training or competition, get more than two colds, flu or other infections per year, have seasonal allergies or asthma, are overfat, are ac acutely overtraining or if you have been inconsistent, just beginning or returning to ex exercise, subtract an additional five. Three, if you have been training consistently at least four times weekly for up to two years without any of the problems mentioned in one or two, no modification is necessary. Use 180 minus your age as your math heart rate. Four, if you have been training for more than two years without any of the problems listed above, have made measurable progress and have improved competitively, add five. And then the resulting heart rate is the high end of the heart rate range with the low end being 10 beats below. So for example, somebody who is 40 years old in category two would subtract uh, 40, 40 from 180, which re results in 140. And if they are in category two, so they are uh, injured, have regressed or not improved in training or competition, they get more than two colds, flu or other infections per year, and so on and so forth. Uh, they would subtract an additional five, meaning that their math heart rate is 135, and the range of heart rate that uh, Dr. Maffetone would have them train at is 125 to 135. So, and then he says says that the the athlete can self-select any intensity within this range. So, if 125 feels better than 135, it feels more appropriate, then go for 125. 135 is not a magic number. So, that's a good thing. He has a range in place. 
for me, as another example, if I were to use his formula, I would take 180 minus 30, and I would probably either just go for that 150. I might add five because I have been very consistent and made big improvements uh, for several years, but I did have a hamstring strain that kept me from running uh, for a few weeks last year. So maybe uh, in the if following the rules strictly, I would stick to 250 because I have been had an injury in the last two years. So so let's say that I stick to 150. My range would then be 140 to 150. And continuing with my personal example uh, to show you a bit of the issue with uh, the math heart rate formula or the math the math 180 formula as it's called, if I run at run at for example 150 beats per minute, my pace is basically very close to my 70.3 race pace. Depending on weather and caffeine consumption and hydration and so on, it would probably be between 350 to to four minutes per per kilometer. So not that far from 70.3 race pace. Definitely not the pace I should be running for my regular endurance runs, which uh, I run at anywhere from 510 to 430 per kilometer. Even if I go at the low end of the range, so at 140 beats per minute, I'd still be running basically some sort of a tempo run most of the time so maybe i'd be running between four minutes per kilometer and 410 per kilometer at 140 beats per minute and that is still quite a bit too fast even for what i would call steady endurance runs or best easy pace the high end of zone two if you want to call it that uh, because then my heart rate is in the high 120s or low 130s usually uh, the pace is probably 430, maybe in the 420s on a really good day on a flat course. But I really should not be running any faster than that, neither in terms of heart rate or pace for endurance runs, even for the steady ones, as I would get myself overtrained and probably injured as well very quickly. The same issue applies to several of the athletes I coach as well. Uh, so if I were to tell them to go and run at their Mathton heart rate, they would just be running super quickly all the time and and it would be a recipe for disaster but uh, on the other hand some athletes can run very very sustainably and aerobically uh, at a heart rate that is much higher than their math heart rate a great example of this is uh, scientific triathlon coach james teagle uh, he has a measured a lab measured uh, lt1 heart rate so his aerobic threshold which is basically what math the math heart rate wants to estimate the that point where the effort goes from being really really aerobic to anaerobic contribution starting to gradually contribute more and more so anyway james has a an aerobic threshold heart rate of 169 but his math heart rate would be 156 so for him there is a large chunk of aerobic heart rates that according to the math 180 formula would be a no-go zone but that's clearly not the case because he has been tested in the lab and knows <laughs> knows where he should be uh, should be running for his for his aerobic runs or up to which point he he can run so as you can see the point i'm trying to make is that even though the formula is different from for example 220 minus your age as maximum heart rate it is at the end of the day just another age-based heart rate formula and they don't tend to work very well on an individual level on a population average level 
yeah they can work excellently because you can choose exactly which number you want to subtract your age from you can just adjust so that you uh, hit on average the perfect spot but on an individual level the variance from person to person is just way way too big uh, i did actually a summary of all of my athletes and uh, i found that 45 percent of them had a math heart rate that uh, was different by more than five beats per minute from what i have either their measured or their well estimated aerobic threshold to be at so when you consider that some of them had a difference of 15 beats per minute or 10 to 15 beats per minute was, was something that several athletes had it's very evident that on the individual level this formula just completely breaks down and not just for a few outliers as i said this happened to 45 percent of of my athletes so it's a large amount of people Interest, interestingly when i checked the the average difference between math heart rate and my estimated arabic threshold heart rate for my athletes on average the difference was just one beat per minute so the math formula worked very very well the median difference was two beats per minute again really good but yeah the problem is that it works so well on average but but it doesn't help when close to 50 percent of individuals would end up either overcooked or understimulated if using the 180 formula also it is very important to add that there is no peer-reviewed research validating the formula it's all based on dr maffetone's own data which is not published there is an article a published article written by uh, phil maffetone and professor paul larson uh, called maximum aerobic function clinical relevance physiological underpinnings and practical application but it's just uh, an article it's not a study it doesn't have any original data and it doesn't do any sort of systematic review uh, it is what uh, you would call a hypothesis and theory article or that's what it's labeled in the journal that's all well and good those kinds of articles have value but it's not proof or validation of anything whatsoever so again no study has validated the formula and as far as I know, no study has even used the formula to support their own study or to see any sort of like measure any sort of training improvements or performance improvements from training. So while the objective of finding the intensity level where you can train aerobically and uh, do much of your training there is fantastic and I'm 100% in agreement with, with that uh, ultimate objective, the premise that heart rate is so tightly bound to age with, uh, without accounting for the large inter-individual variation is just flawed and that makes the whole concept flawed uh, because if you, can't, uh, if you can't trust that you're getting uh, a good intensity control with the formula then, uh, then what's, what's the point even if the, even if, uh, the objective of intensity control is is correct which which i agree that it is so i did say that i would point out some positives though and uh, there are some and, and they are as follows first i think that the formula has increased the awareness of the importance of training aerobically and with intensity control again would never argue with that i totally agree with that uh, and second uh, i have a very limited sample size uh, here so take this with a bathtub of salt but i tend to see a slightly better match between uh, my estimation of the athlete's aerobic threshold and their math threshold when the athlete is either a bit older so in their 40s and up or they are slightly less fit 
So this is no excuse really to use the, the math formula because there are much better ways to assess where you should be training in terms of, of heart rate, even if you belong to one of those groups. But but I think that this is maybe the main demographic that are using the formula anyway. So So I consider it a positive that it may not be as bad with that target demographic as it can be with some athletes the younger and uh, and really fit athletes where, where it can really be way way off uh, so let's talk about some alternative ways of establishing or estimating your aerobic threshold or uh, we might call it the lt1 the first first lactate threshold uh, that i think that you should uh, rely on instead of using the math formula so the first and best way would be to do uh, a metabolic test. It could be either uh, a test in a lab, like a ramp test with lactate and maybe even VO2 measurements, or it could be something like an inside test, which can be done uh, remotely. But uh, at the moment, the remote version is only for the bike. But if you do that, then the fat max estimate that you will get the, the power at fat max would correlate well with uh, LT1. So at that intensity, you would know that you would stay aerobic. And that's one of the reasons in the first place to stay aerobic, to, to make sure that you get enough of a stimulus for uh, using fat for fuel in training. So a lactate ramp test would be would be great for for running going to a lab and doing that uh, and uh, either a lab test on the bike or maybe an inside test remotely uh, would would be the the option for the bike uh, the second uh, really good way is to do a torque test and this is scientifically validated i'll link in the episode description to uh, the paper by carl foster and colleagues uh, so in simple term, terms, you would basically just go at various intensities and recite a standard paragraph of 30 to 100 words and respond to the question, can you speak comfortably? And if the answer is an unequivocal yes, then you are at or below uh, that aerobic threshold. So, for example, uh, they have uh, the Carl Foster and colleagues mentioned that the Pledge of Allegiance would be was something that uh, in the American culture at least worked well because everybody knows that paragraph and and it's the correct length. So so that's something that has been used in studies. Uh, and the third option would be to take between seventy five to eighty percent of your max heart rate. Uh, if your max heart rate is less than 180, then maybe I would go for 75% as an estimate for aerobic threshold. If it's more than 180, you might go up towards 80%. Uh, but I really think that this method is not as good as the other ones. It's a better, it's better than math because it's based on your actual maximum heart rate. So if you don't know it, you would need to test it in the first place. Uh, but, uh, but it's, so it's better than a math test because it relies on actually knowing your max heart rate. But but it's still an estimate because it still uses a percentage that is kind of arbitrary. It's not a lab test where you see how your lactate reacts or anything like that. So so this is not as good. And even I think the talk test is a lot better because there is really solid evidence for, for how well that works when comparing it to, to ventilatory thresholds or lactate thresholds. So... So those are the alternative ways. And with all of this preamble out of the way, let's get into the questions for today, which are all about the math method to, to some extent. The first one is from Jerry in Ireland who writes, Hi, I'm a relatively new listener to the show, but really enjoying it. I'm listening back to the old episodes. For this winter, I decided to do all runs and bikes according to the math heart rate, at least until February. I'm doing Lanzarote Ironman at the end of April. My question is, what should you do when your math pace does not feel easy? 
I just turned 50 uh, and I've done the formula by taking 50 from 180 uh, minus another 10 for being on thyroid medication, so 120. All the info seems to be about how easy math should feel, but I'm certainly not finding it easy. Any ideas or do I just persevere? I'm fine with the pace, but it's not easy. Thanks in advance. All right, thanks, Jerry, for the question. So as I explained at the top, the problems with how with why the math formula doesn't work for a fairly large number of individuals is that heart rate is so individual and it's not so tightly bound to age as the formula would have you believe. So my advice is simply do not use the method. Uh, I recommend, again, either do some sort of metabolic test, as mentioned above, uh, to determine your training zones and training levels. That's perhaps the best option for a new triathlete would be to go into a lab and because it would be beneficial to have an experienced person helping you through the testing process and also helping you understand the results. Uh, But if that's not possible, then you can use methods such as uh, inside testing on the bike at least, uh, or you could use the torque test that works really well. Uh, But again, it's something that the torque test is something that maybe is slightly easier to do for experienced athletes uh, compared to beginner athletes. So I would say probably go into a lab would be my recommendation for you and get an estimate for your aerobic threshold and use that as your ceiling for aerobic training. I think that if your math, your heart rate target of 120 does not feel easy, uh, if it feels that you're kind of working quite hard, then it means that your your aerobic threshold is probably a bit lower than that. Then another part of your question, you say you've decided to do all of your runs and bikes uh, to math heart rate uh, till at least February. Uh, I would say about that, even though I fully agree that the training that you do at uh, that is very aerobic that is at or below your aerobic threshold that's the most important training you will be doing uh, and it's not the only training that is beneficial uh, i do think you should be doing some sort of intensity on a weekly basis and for you at this point of the year and as a beginner i think a fairly polarized model would work well so still a large majority of your training should be that aerobic uh, at or below aerobic threshold kind of training but I would also recommend doing one to two sessions per week that include some high intensity. So it could be doing uh, 50 meter intervals really hard in the pool with uh, relatively long recoveries. Or you could be doing fart lake runs where you intersperse aerobic running with really hard running at kind of your 5k race pace or faster. Or it could take the form of some classic interval workout on the bike, like 30 seconds really hard, 30 seconds easy. And uh, it's very effective, but it won't smash you. So you could be doing 10 times 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, where you aim to get to 90% of maximum heart rate by the end of the set. And then take a longer break after you do 10 to 15 of those, uh, those repetitions. And then do maybe two sets or even three sets uh, or even four sets as your fitness develops. Uh, also, I would add here that, uh, yes, we hear a lot about how math should feel so, so, so easy. But actually, when you're working at your aerobic threshold, whether it's running, riding or swimming, for many athletes, 
it, it not it's not super duper easy peasy and and it shouldn't be really the fitter you get the the more difficult it becomes uh, so it's important to point out that once you establish an estimate for aerobic threshold uh, you don't have to be right at that threshold for all your aerobic training uh, you probably shouldn't you can be significantly below it for some of your aerobic training and the fitter an athlete gets the more they need to do their aerobic training well below the aerobic threshold because uh, that ends up if you always train at the aerobic threshold it ends up becoming a pretty fast speed or high power that has a big cost metabolically you burn a lot of energy and biomechanically if we're talking running you have athletes that have aerobic thresholds that are uh, that are way faster than 330 per kilometer so so for them it's of course a biomechanically a very very uh, hard pace so for most beginners uh, this is not a problem necessarily you can maybe train close to your aerobic threshold for most of your aerobic training but uh, but this can be individual too so be aware that you are allowed to do uh, aerobic training that is way easier than your aerobic threshold so i hope this helps uh, good luck with ironman lanzarote jerry the next question is from Damien in Melbourne, Australia, who writes, Hi, Michael. Thank you for doing what you do with the podcast. It's great content and provides really valuable insights into why we train the way we do. I just recently completed my first triathlon uh, in Ironman Geelong 70.3 and would love to kick on and eventually complete a full Ironman. What training methodology would you suggest a time-poor athlete subscribe to? I'm currently doing a version of polarized training with roughly 80% of training at math heart rate and the remaining 20% uh, of training as either tempo uh, or interval training or time trials. Progress has been kind of slow. I have improved uh, from 6.30 per kilometer to 6 flat per kilometer at math heart rate, and, but I have beaten all my PBs up to ha the half marathon. I have been on math for about three months. I'm running 80 to 100 kilometers a week with no bike or swim at the moment. I do daily runs with two bodyweight strength sessions a week and looking to do a full Ironman in the next year or so. All right, thanks, Damien, uh, and thanks for the information. Uh, actually, I would say that you've done really great progress to go from 6.30 to 6 minutes flat at your math heart rate. Uh, I certainly wouldn't expect any more than that in three months of training, uh, and additionally, beating all your PBs up to the half marathons is excellent, so congratulations. What you have been doing is clearly working. Uh, so I would say that you are definitely on the right track with what you're already doing. But uh, just to give you some uh, some further improvements or pot potential directions for improvements, uh, while the objective of getting the, the right intensity for aerobic training is spot on with the math mef method, the premise of the 180 formula is flawed. So, so even if it seems to be working for you, maybe for you it's absolutely perfect. I would still recommend that you go and use one of the other methods I mentioned to measure directly or estimate your aerobic threshold anything from a lab test to an inside test to get testing your max heart rate and taking a percentage of that or doing the talk test as prescribed by carl foster uh, so any any way you do it get an estimate for that aerobic threshold and then use that as the ceiling for low intensity training not your math heart rate and again just to reiterate uh, that ceiling for your low intensity training is not a magic intensity so not all of your training needs to happen there uh, you won't blow up by doing some training a bit above it it's not a gray zone but as a general guideline 
uh, what you're doing with the 80% distribution is probably probably about right, I would say. For a time-poor athlete, anywhere between 70 to 90% of aerobic training is something that I think works really well, depending on what your strengths and weaknesses are. So ideally, if you do something like a lactate test in a lab, then you will get more insights into your strengths and weaknesses. So if you see that your lactate rises basically from the very first steps, then you know that the aerobic metabolism is your limiter and you can focus more on your training on that. Maybe up to 90% of your training would be below the aerobic threshold at or below it. But if you do have a stable baseline for the first few steps where the lactate does not rise, then you have this base is still incredibly important so still working on it a lot the arabic training but you probably have room in that case to include a bit more high intensity as well so whether it's kind of the higher end of aerobic work zone three zone four work so tempo or threshold training or high intensity intervals in in zone zone five you could go either way i think with which option you would choose for your higher intensity training Uh, but uh, I would say that for somebody like you in the beginning stages of your triathlon career, mixing in both is definitely not a bad choice. So the workouts that you choose to do that are not just aerobic work in zone two or zone one could basically alternate between being, for example, a hit workout in zone five and a tempo workout in zone three or low zone four to, to mix in the best of both worlds. And uh, the reason I suggest this is that For more advanced athletes, they might benefit more from training in specific blocks. So they would not mix and match, but focus on one rather uh, and do all of the non-aerobic training as, for example, HIIT training or tempo training to make sure that the stimulus is strong enough on that particular uh, that particular intensity level. But for athletes at more of a beginner level, I think mixing might be the best option as you don't need a massive dose of anything to improve. So so you can improve multiple capacities and attributes simultaneously. So I hope this helps. You're definitely on the right track with what you're doing. And, and I would just recommend the primary thing you should do is to to make sure that you have that sort of aerobic threshold estimate set correctly by using another testing method to to establish it. The final question is from Massimo in Italy, who writes, Hi, Michael. I'm just going through this, the training zones definition. And uh, I've heard you say that for cycling power, you basically stick with traditional Kogan zones, while for heart rate and for running, you have a bit of a different method. I'm wondering what you think about the math method of, of low heart rate training, and if you would incorporate this math uh, training in, in, your, uh, in your coaching. Okay, thanks, Massimo, for the question. So most of my answer you've already heard, so I'm not going to repeat myself too much at least. But I'll add one more thing that your question made me made me think about. When you ask what I think about low heart rate training, that's, it's a bit of a buzzword, I think, actually. The way I think about it isn't so much that high heart rate, and by that I mean high relative to the individual, Uh, is bad or that a lower heart rate relative to the individual is good or better Uh, so my philosophy definitely overlaps with methadones and with many others because i agree that developing the aerobic endurance through primarily aerobic non-glycolytic training 
relying heavily on fat oxidation is fundamentally important. But I don't like to call it low heart rate training because that implies a bit that training with high heart rate is bad uh, when it's absolutely not. It's great. But that too is fundamentally important. The difference lies in the dosage. You don't need a very large dose of high-intensity training, but you do need a large dose of the aerobic non-glycolytic training. You can think about it a bit like cooking. So let's say you're making a big family-sized stew. You might add three or four teaspoons of salt to it because it's just such a big stew. So you have to add enough for it to even uh, be able to to make a difference there. Uh, That's the dose of salt that's needed, basically. But when it comes to that really hot special Tabasco that you're adding, uh, you'd go for like a third of a teaspoon, even though it's a big stew. Because it's not because the Tabasco is less important, but it's just because it's much more potent, but also potentially more harmful in this case to the eating experience if you add three teaspoons of Tabasco, which might just be way too much for that stew. Uh, and in the case of athlete development, just too much high intensity would be harmful to, to the athlete's performance improvements. So, so I prefer to think of it not as low heart rate training, which, which to me at least implies that it's better, but I prefer to think of it as intensity control and purposeful training. Uh, so low intensity is great. Moderate intensity is great. High intensity is great. The doses of each of them should be very different. And you should always know the reason for why you're doing uh, doing these different types of training and when. And uh, to take another cooking example, when you're baking a cake, the purpose is different than when you're making a stew. Uh, so the, the purpose is like the outcome, uh, the, the cake rather than the stew. So in that situation, you wouldn't add any Tabasco, <laughs> not even a little bit. You don't need that. Uh, so so that's, uh, I, I guess, an analogy to training that when you're working on sustained endurance, you might not do any really high-intensity inter- interval training, but you would add in maybe some tempo training and, and some tres- threshold training. Uh, so know the purpose, know what you're, what you're looking to accomplish, the objectives of the workouts, and, uh, and then you choose the right dosage for those objectives. And uh, yeah, I think that that's it for practice intensity control for each type of workout. For low intensity, that may mean capping the intensity at, to have a, a heart rate cap, for example. Whereas for high intensity, it may be that uh, really pushing yourself to achieve certain numbers and have them as a, as motivation, like you want to achieve at least this number. Regardless, it's still intensity control. So, so I think that's, that's the term that I would focus on rather than low heart rate training, because it's not inherently better. It's just needed in a different dose than the other type of training. So I hope that this clears things up. That's it for today. Uh, thank you for all the questions and keep sending them in to michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K. You can find links to the paper about math heart rate and also an article on uh, Phil Mathton's website about the math 180 formula as well as the link to the, uh, the paper describing the talk test by Carl Foster and colleagues in the episode description. So check that out. And uh, if you are a long-time listener of the podcast and you enjoy it, it would be fantastic if you could take a moment to leave a rating and a review on iTunes that helps other people find the podcast and keep it growing and keep it be sustainable so it can keep going for a long, long time. Also, if you're interested in training plans or coaching, go and have a look at scientifictriathlon.com where we have uh, all the information uh, available about those different options. And if uh, you have further questions, then feel free to email me uh, with, uh, with any queries that you might have. 
Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and take their online sweat test to get a free hydration plan and get 15% off your electrolyte order with the promo code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW15. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, and high-performance eyewear and prescription glasses and sunglasses and get 20% off your order with the promo code that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.